Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's Card Room, where, as of this weekend, the Venom is in full swing. The Venom is a $2,650 online tournament on ACR, and it's got five starting flights and a guaranteed prize pool of at least 10 million U.S. dollars. My name is Clayton Fletcher, and I'm your host here in cold and rainy New York City. I want to thank those of you who joined us last week for the TPE free roll played on America's Card Room last Sunday. We are doing it all again this Sunday, January 29th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, New York City time, for those in America So yeah, get on ACR. If you don't yet have a membership, you can join right now and get a 100% first-time deposit bonus using the code TPE. That's the promo code TPE for a 100% deposit bonus on America's Card Room. Instructions on how to enter this week's free roll will be given on the TPE Discord And that is also free. You can join us on there by clicking the link in the description to this podcast, or as we used to call them, the show notes. I want to continue our discussion of the $28 6 Max PKO that we started last week. But before we do, I want to talk really quickly about something that happened in Razvadov. You know, you may have heard what happens in Razvadov causes extreme depression. Well, they had something called the World Series of Poker Circuit main event in fabulous Razvadov, <laughs> Czech Republic, said no one ever. Anyway, uh, there was a bit of controversy about this tournament because at the final table, which was live streamed, there was a player who was all in holding Jack-10 versus King Jack. So Jack-10 versus King Jack, and they're all in. On a board of ace, queen, six, jack, six. And everyone shook the player with jack ten's hand. Uh, Good game. He's out in fifth place or whatever. And they're all patting him on the shoulders. The uh, announcer is just saying, you know, he did his best. He played well. A good showing here. Fifth place money. No one seems to realize that this pot is supposed to be chopped. No one can bust out on this board. It's ace, queen, six, jack, six. So each player has sixes and jacks with an ace kicker. When I saw the footage from this hand, I was kind of surprised that no one spoke up. You would think that the player who's about to bust out would double check and make sure that the board is correct and that he's got the hand that he thinks he has. The dealer should also have responsibility here. But what about the other players? You know, I'm sure one of those remaining four players was thinking, uh, isn't that a chop? But maybe he didn't want to speak up because, look, we can ladder up, right? It's not my money. It's not my problem. So it's not my cards and it's not my place to say anything. Someone did discover it later, from what I understand, 
And at that point, it's just too late. You know, those who are saying, well, if he realized it after the fact, maybe he should have been allowed to come back and get back in the tournament. You know, there are rules against this sort of thing. Once the next hand is dealt, no one is allowed to dispute what happened in the previous hand. So that is why whenever there is an issue, you want to make sure that the cards are tabled, everything's face up, the board is still there, so that the tournament director can come over and check it out. Once that next hand is dealt, your right to dispute anything is is null. Uh, the only exception might be if you think that maybe a player stole some of your chips or some actual cheating took place, then yeah, you, you will find casinos that'll use the security camera footage to figure out whether or not someone should be disqualified or if he's already collected his payout, maybe banned from the property for life. You know, things like that do happen after the next hand is dealt. But in, in situations like this, you only have the opportunity until the dealer picks up that deck, shuffles it, and starts pitching the cards for the next hand. Once everyone who made the mistake of not noticing the chop pot made that mistake, after that mistake, everything was by the book. So, yeah, we can't go back and fix it. But obviously, this has been the talk of the town on Twitter. This case is kind of a sad one. I mean, who knows whether the player who busted would have actually busted in that fifth place spot if this malfunction, <laughs> this user error had not occurred. But suffice to say that the best defense against everything like this is more training for the dealers. You know... Usually when there's any type of controversy along the lines of this one, I try to look and see, did the dealer follow procedure? I mean, I'm a stickler for procedure because with, with proper procedure, things like this don't happen. At the end of the hand, before pushing the pot to the player that the dealer believes should be awarded the pot, he or she is supposed to take the cards that are in play that are being used to make the winning hand and push them an inch or two forward to just show everyone this is the winning hand. Possibly, had the dealer done that and followed procedure in this case, then everyone could have seen, wait a minute, what about those two sixes right there? You just push the ace and the queen, but that queen doesn't play. It's jacks and sixes with an ace. So you should be pushing forward the jack, the two sixes, and the ace. And then somebody else would say, well, in that case, both of those players have the same hand and no one's just busted out from this tournament. I suspect someone may have noticed, but just decided that it was not in his best interest to speak up. Anyway, it's the first time anything like this has ever happened, at least in the live streaming realm. So I want to know what you guys think on Twitter at Clayton Comic. Let me know your thoughts on this situation, this hand. This whole controversy in the Czech Republic. All right, let's pick up where we left off last time. You may remember we're doing quite well in this PKO. It's a six max PKO with a $10,000 guarantee, which was shattered. I think we got like 16 or 17,000 total when all is said and done, which isn't bad, 28 bucks at a time. Anyway, uh, there was a very loose player kind of across from me at this six-handed table. And then on my immediate left was a, a tight player uh, professional with whom I was familiar already. I've played a lot of different tournaments 
with this particular player and I know what he's all about. I also have over 400 hands worth of HUD stats, which is really great to have on the player on your immediate left. Those of you who play live poker, you don't get the benefit of a poker tracker or hold'em manager or whatever uh, heads-up display might be available. So you have to kind of take those notes yourself and get a feel for your opponents in real life. But when I'm playing online, I'm very happy to use these tools that we have at our disposal. And there's no rules against using such software on America's card room. So we're in the same tournament uh, at the same table. Now the blinds have gone up to 750 and 1500 with a 200 ante per player. We have 225,000 in chips at a time when the average stack is only 110. So we're doing great. It's still pretty early on. I think this is level three of this tournament. So we're doing great. Uh, one fold and I open with ace 10. Now it's a six max tournament. So we're in the hijack and I make it 3,750. So two and a half big blinds here. And the button, who is that known, tight, aggressive player that I'm quite familiar with, uh, three bets to 12,750 with 130,000 behind. Uh, the action folds back to me. So let's talk about this player. Oh, wait, guys, I misspoke. He's in the cutoff in this hand. He's not on the button. And I think that's kind of important because it does affect ranges, especially among tighter players like some of the wild guys are like you know who cares about position i have two colorful cards and i'm going to raise and re-raise with them a three bet from this player would be a lot more likely to be light had he actually been on the button but again he's actually in the cutoff so uh his hud stats just so you guys know it's over 400 hands he runs 18 14 so that's 18 v pip with a 14 percent pre-flop raise with a 7% 3-bet, that's pretty healthy, and a 1.5 post-flop aggression factor. So these are the numbers of a player who is fairly tight and not all that aggressive, somewhat aggressive. These numbers would definitely fall into the category of a, a professional-level player who is on the tighter side. So keeping in mind he's got 130 130,000 in his stack and keeping in mind that this is really the first three bet he has even put in in this whole tournament all day which has only been about you know less than an hour to be sure but you know you play a lot of hands in a six max faster structured tournament you do kind of get to know your opponents rather quickly and this guy I knew from other tournaments anyway so what to do with ace 10 you guys might be surprised I just threw it away. <laughs> I know from some of your emails and, and from some of your tweets at Clayton Comic, many of you think that I'm just a wild man that's always willing to risk it with any two cards and just get in there and mix it up. And I certainly run a lot higher than 18% VPIP. But part of that playing style is you kind of have to dance a little bit. And in this spot, even though Ace-10 is certainly a real hand and on everybody's pre-flop GTO chart for how to play from the hijack, I still didn't feel like continuing to battle. I mean, the options here are to call and then have to play ace-10 offsuit 
versus a decent, not crazy opponent from out of position. And it's such a trap hand. I mean, if I flop an ace and I get a lot of heat, what am I supposed to do? Hang on for dear life and see if it's good on the river? Throw it away to the second barrel? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's a very hard hand to play in a three-bet pot. So uh, I made an exploitable fold and lived to fight another day. Um, a while later, 20 or 30 hands later, same table, same opponent, uh, the action folded to me in the small blind, and the blinds at this point were 1,000, 2,000 with a 300 ante, and at this point in the tournament, we had 240,000 in our stack, and the average was only 125, so about two times the average. Q equals two, Harrington on Hold'em fans, the Q equals two, and our stack was in the top 15 out of the two or 300 players in the event. So obviously, you know, doing great, nice, big, healthy stack and feeling good at this table with a lot of loose action to my right and mostly tighter players on my left. But bad news right before this hand started, the wild and crazy player that we described in last week's episode actually had already busted out of this tournament right before this hand. So we were actually five-handed. So the hijack, cutoff, and button all folded. And now the action is on Clayton in the small blind, holding the ace of clubs, eight of clubs. Now we have about 240K in our stack. And the opponent, who is the same player from the previous hand, the 18-14 known tight aggressive reg, has about 150 in his stack, he's got 150,000. So we're both doing fine. You know, he's got 75 big blinds. We've got 120. We're fine here. You know, we're doing great. Furthermore, we are the two, I guess, non-recreational players at this table. Now, I mean, it, whether I'm a recreational player or not kind of depends on who you ask. It also depends on what tournament I'm in. I think I'm in the top 20% of the field in this tournament. But there are certainly other tournaments I play, including the upcoming Venom, where I would not be able to put myself uh, quite that high on the uh, list if we were trying to make a, a list of who's most likely to win the tournament. I'm not sure I would put myself in the top 20%. But yeah, this is not the Venom. This is a, tw a $28 buy-in tournament, not a $2,650 buy-in. And I've noticed a lot of mistakes among my opponents. But... The player in the big blind is the player described. He is tight, a little bit aggressive, and doesn't really get out of line. So how to handle ace eight suited in this situation? Well, I know there are a lot of different schools of thought on how to handle the unique complexities of the blind versus blind situation. And uh, those of you who are cash game players may never have to deal with this because in many cash games out there when it the action folds to the blinds they just chop the pot and deal another hand but in tournament poker of course we can't do that so what to do about the blind versus blind my general strategy uh, at this stack depth is to just limp with everything so i would limp with 100 percent of my range which is 100 percent of all the hands in the world. 10 deuce, 7 deuce, 
six deuce offsuit. Yeah, I'm not folding because I'm just priced in with the blinds and the antes that are already in there. So I'm going to at least call, I'm going to call 100% of the time when I'm in a small blind versus big blind spot like this one. And then versus most opponents, if they raise from the big blind after I limp in and just complete from the small, I tend to have a pretty liberal defense strategy uh, versus that raise. I mean, some people think just because I limp in that they can raise and take it. And fair enough, they will when I do have one of those, you know, bottom 20% hands like a 10 deuce or a 7 deuce, something like that. Jack deuce, right? I'm not going to defend and try to play an inflated pot with a terrible hand like that. But because I will be necessarily making so many folds to those raises, I like to be the one putting in the three bet maybe a little more often than you might expect. Now, this will obviously depend a lot on my opponent. Like if my opponent is going to raise almost all of my limps, then I can be limp three betting him with a hand as bad as like king four offsuit, right? If he's going to do it all the time, then my hand doesn't really matter that much. I just want to have like one sort of blocker against the top of his range, which is a king or an ace. Uh, against a more conservative opponent, I don't really want to be three betting too often with too wide of a range, but it is hard to play from out of position. So wherever possible, I would prefer to take it down before the flop. So here I limp in and then Mr. Tight Aggressive, the player we've been talking about, makes it 7,000. So he raises to 3.5 big blinds and the action is on me in the small blind holding the ace of clubs, eight of clubs. I think my decision here is pretty close actually, but one thing I know for sure is I'm never folding. We did not limp this hand to throw it away. Now, of course, I'm telling you this guy is a, a fairly tight player and he's mostly conservative and he's not all that aggressive. That doesn't mean we can just fold a suited ace to him blind versus blind just because he shows a little bit of aggression, right? We need to be vigilant. We need to mix up our play. We need to keep this guy guessing. We need to put in a three bet at least some of the time as I did here. So he made it 7,000 and then Clayton springs the trap and I decide to make it 19K. Ha ha, I got you. On to the next one, right? Wrong. He called. Uh-oh. So now we are going to play a three bet pot from out of position. Hero holding the ace of clubs, eight of clubs. Wow. Okay, this is not what we wanted at all. Maybe I should have gone a little bit bigger. But I, I really feel like this player will have some percentage of bluffs. Like he's a good enough player that he's at least some of the time going to have nothing when he makes it 7,000. Just hoping to take it down against me. Not really wanting to build a pot. Not really wanting to play a pot, even in position. And that's the part of the range that this raise is designed to convince to make a laydown. Instead, he called with some other part of his range. And now we're going to see a flop. And it comes down the 10 of hearts, 5 of clubs, tray of diamonds. So 10-5 tray rainbow. We've got one over card. We've got a backdoor flush draw. We have not much at all, if you think about it. <laughs> I'm just sitting here with ace high, but I do have the lead in the hand, meaning I was the last aggressor before the flop. So I'm going to go ahead and come out with a continuation bet here, despite the fact that I believe villain actually has a nuts advantage. Uh, yeah, I might 
have played pocket tens this way. I don't believe that I would ever play pocket fives or trays this way. So with those hands, I most likely would have limped and then called the raise trying to flop a set. But I believe that villain might be willing to raise and then call my three bet with any pair. So because of that, I think he has a nuts advantage, but I'm going to at least fire one time on this board, mostly because we've got so much in there already. Well, at this point, there's about 40,000 in the middle and villain only has 130,000 behind. So with that in mind, I do believe he is likely to fold to my C-bet, not wanting to get more committed to this pot. And I went up a little bit. Like A lot of times your C-bet sizing can be like around one-third of the pot. I actually went for a little over half the pot, putting in a bet of 27K, which villain called. Now, I still think he's got the nuts advantage here, uh, even after he just flat calls, because there aren't that many cards that he needs to worry about. The, there's no flush draw. Yeah, I guess straights are possible, but do I really have those kind of low cards in my limp re-raising range? Probably not as many as I should have in order to have board coverage on flops like this one. But yeah, I think that a lot of his range is going to be like, you know, a 10, maybe a hand like King 10 suited, possibly, uh, maybe even King 10 offsuit, depending on his opinion of me and how wild he thinks I am. Some players might play pocket jacks this way. That's also a possibility. I mean, you're definitely supposed to keep raising with these stacks when you have queens, kings, or aces, but some players do get tricky or timid and slow down with hands like that. But yeah, Jax is probably right on the border for many players of what they should have when they call the three bet as opposed to four bet it. So yeah, I just think that even though he's got the nuts advantage, uh, a lot of his range is either going to be a 10, like a king 10 type of hand, possibly ace 10, but I do have an ace myself. But I think that much of his range for calling a large bet on the flop is going to be more like pocket eights, pocket sevens, right? Those hands that are somewhere in between top pair and middle pair. I don't expect this player to have queen 10, jack 10, 10, 9, all those other 10s, maybe ace 10, maybe king 10. But otherwise, I don't expect him to show up with those other broadways suited or not from the big blind because he could have just checked and seen a flop. And again, this player tends toward a more conservative style. So I'm not too worried about him having a 10. I actually think that his range is mostly 8s, 7s, 6s, maybe 9s, maybe jacks, probably not queens, kings, or aces. So he will end up with a one pair hand a lot. He might also have any other pair and all sets are possible. So with that in mind, when he makes the call, there's now 90,000 in the middle and the turn comes the king of hearts. So our board is now 10 of hearts, five of clubs, tray of diamonds, king of hearts. So what to do? We're out of position. We have nothing. We have ace eight of clubs. We have not connected with this board at all. We don't block anything that does connect with this board at all. Well, I guess that's not true. We kind of block ace-king and ace-ten. Well, the dynamic that I set up in this hand 
with my preflop three bet followed by a large, larger sized C bet on the flop is, I mean, let's look at the, the raw numbers here, guys. There's 90,000 in there and our opponent has already put in just under one third of his stack. So he's got about a pot size bet remaining, just a, a smidge over, about 10% over a pot size bet remaining in his stack. And now we've really got to decide, is this King of Hearts a good card for us to double barrel? Well, a lot of our double barrel range consists of cards that improve our equity. And there's a good reason for that, right? If you pick up equity on the turn, it might empower you or embolden you, I should say, to keep firing after having C-bet on the flop. So usually when we pick up a flush draw, for example, on the turn, that's a great card to keep representing a big hand because you can either take it down now or what the heck, maybe you'll make that flush on the river. We have no draw <laughs> whatsoever unless it would be good for us to hit an ace, which we can't even be sure that that would be good. In terms of increasing our actual equity for the two cards we actually hold, uh, this King of Hearts is an absolute zero. Uh, but on the other hand, is this King of Hearts better for our overall range in the long run than it is for our opponents? Well, if we're right in putting a lot of his range into that pair below top pair on the flop kind of part of the grid, nines, eights, sevens, then in that case, this King of Hearts is way better for us. I don't think the King could really have helped our opponent under any circumstances, unless he had specifically King 10. And in that case, he didn't need any help anyway. It's important to note that when our continuation bet gets called on the flop, we're almost never good. We've got Ace-8. It's never good when we get called. Our opponent doesn't have the possible draws like 6-4 suited or not. He's gonna. He's never going to take one off for 27K with a hand like ace-deuce for a gut shot. It's just too big of a percentage of his remaining stack, and he's too good of a player to put in that many chips just hoping to hit a four-outer. So he's either slow playing a set, or he's got one pair, and in any event, he almost certainly hates that king. Therefore, I decided to fire once more, this time putting in 40,000 into 90,000, so just under half the pot, and about 38% of our opponent's remaining stack, and he promptly and very quickly folded. So I like that one. I feel like that's a good exercise in hand reading and just really trying to figure out what makes sense in terms of what does my opponent most likely have. Well, after that hand, I had a top five stack in the tournament. That was a pretty substantial pot, as you know. And I went on to finish in 17th place. Out of 711 entries into this $28 6 max PKO. I want to know your thoughts on this hand on all streets, as well as the previous hand we discussed. Leave me your comments. 
on Twitter at Clayton Comic, or you can chime in. We have a special strategy section of the TPE Discord. Remember, we have links to all this good stuff in the description of this podcast. Be sure to join the Discord. Be sure to join ACR. If you don't have an account yet, you can sign up and get 100% first-time deposit bonus using the promo code TPE. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and with special thanks to our generous sponsor, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.